Welcome to Starting Nowhere, I'm your host Brandon. Do me a favor, make sure you hit like, subscribe, and leave a comment on whatever platform you listen to this on. Today, my guest is Mela Borowski. Mela is a witch and pagan minister who's going to tell me some myths about being a witch, how she became to be a witch, and also how it is living with face blindness. Please enjoy today's episode. Well, good afternoon, Miss Mella. How are you doing today? Doing pretty good. How about you? I'm living the dream. Um, so why don't you go ahead and tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Okay. My name is Pamela Borowski. I go by Mella, and I'm an ordained pagan minister as well as a witch and also an integrative healing arts practitioner. I do a lot of hypnosis and um, just spiritual work with people. And I live on a family farm out in rural South Carolina. And I teach a lot of classes. I do a lot of what what I do online now because of COVID. Um, I lead full moon ceremonies every single month. And um, I'm I'm just very grateful to be here with you. Well, we'll see if that lasts as I start to ask you my annoying questions. <laughs> um, I, I, as as I start, I'll start there. I've, I've spent some decent amount of time in South Carolina, pastor there. I've had friends there and everything like that. Uh, what, what part? You said you're in the southern part of uh, South Carolina? I'm kind of right in the middle. I'm outside of Columbia. Oh, yeah. Very familiar with that area. Okay. So I had so some of my friends uh, were originally from that area that I met in the military and everything like that. So South Carolina, oh, okay. the Carolinas in general, I'll say this, are some of the most underrated states, I feel like. I feel like a lot of people don't think about them when they think about where should we live, where should we go to school, where should we move? And they have some beautiful weather, some really nice cities and or more rural areas if you're looking for that. And cost of living is low, but they also have like metropolitan yeah. areas that are growing in areas like Charlotte or Raleigh, obviously in North Carolina and stuff like mm -hmm. that. So uh, just, you know, I didn't mean this to sound like an ad for the Carolinas, but uh, <laughs> apparently I had that <laughs> in my heart to say. So <laughs> but, um, I agree. It's a beautiful place. Yeah. So, so start, let's start off with talking about uh, you as a witch, and then I want to start with what the mistake okay. that I made prior to getting on the air that I told you I'd like to discuss on uh, is that tell me the differences between being a witch and being Wiccan. So Wicca is a tradition under kind of the umbrella of paganism, and there's a lot of traditions. So uh, Wicca is kind of like if you were a Christian and someone said, are you a Presbyterian or are you a Baptist? That's what Wicca is. It's a specific religion, tradition. Um, and so you can be a pagan and not be Wiccan. I'm not Wiccan. As far as witch goes, I see witchcraft as a skill set. And yes, a lot of pagans and a lot of Wiccans and Druids and people who practice voodoo and all these other things that are under the paganism umbrella. Yes, they may be witches as well, but I know Jewish witches. I know Christian witches. I know atheist witches. So witchcraft is a skill set. Kind of the craft is how I get to that. It's a craft. And you can add that to any spiritual path or no spiritual path. So that's how I see the difference of those two. Okay. So when you say that being a witch is kind of a skill set, mm -hmm. what are some of the skills you would say a witch has? Because obviously, and I, I don't mean any of this to sound offensive if it comes off that way, obviously, but when most people think witches, they think the very much um, cartoonish version of what a witch is. Uh, and they think of, you know, bewitched. They think of those type of things of the mainstream media representations of what being a witch is. What, what kind of skill set would you say that witches have? For me, it is about magic. Um, so they sometimes termed the craft. So with me being a more eclectic pagan, 
my witchcraft or my witchy life, everyday life has to do with growing herbs and making healing ointments and teas and things like that. It has to do with me putting uh, offerings out for my land spirits and um, doing spells to help people as well as I, I do some binding, things like that. I wouldn't say that I go all the way to the point of doing curses and things like that. But if, if things need to get done, there are things that are kind of a sympathetic magic. Appalachian folk magic is where kind of my background is. And so there are things that can be done. And that to me is the, the craft part of it, the skill set of knowing what to use, what herbs, what crystals, what oils, what pieces of things I find outside or bits of hair, knowing what to do with that to actually create a change in the world around me. And so you touched on something there that I think is one of the things that is very common in, again, the fictional world of witches, which is um, staying on a certain side, if you will, of light and dark magic and all those type of things. Uh, so mm -hmm. you said you mentioned you don't go all the way up to curses and stuff like that. What in, in your um, experience, what is the differences between those two? Like, is that something that is kind of once you cross a line, you can't go back to, or is it just kind of culturally that, that people necessarily won't respect you or something like that if they find out you're going across a certain line? So first, the whole light and dark, and they also will say black magic, white magic. I really don't like that. I used to call myself gray witch, but over the years, I really don't like that because to me, that needs to be taken out of our vocabulary just because of the whole really the race issue. I don't think that anything should be attributed as white is good and black is bad. I just really hate that. And I don't know if other people feel the same way, but for me, I've taken that out of my vocabulary. What I do believe though, is whatever you put into the universe, whatever you kind of send out, be willing to have that come back to you. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, some of the things that I may do, some of my friends who may be Wiccan, which has a much more strict kind of view of the world, they may say, you really shouldn't do that. But I'm very much a proponent of walking your own path. And would I ever do a curse or would I do anything that's considered more negative? I tell people this all the time, that if something happened to my children, to my personal family, I might. I'm not going to say that I wouldn't. I might do that, but I would have to be willing to take whatever repercussions the universe goes back to me because I'm a firm believer in the law of cause and effect. And, and so basically that's how I live my life is what I, what I want to come back to me, that's what I put out. And I just happen to want peace and love and community. That's what I want to come back to me. And so that's what I put out. And see, this is why I wouldn't make a very good witch. I just want to put out curses and not have any of them come back to me. So I'm, I'm setting myself <laughs> up from failure from day one uh, uh -huh. of my witch training. And so <laughs> it's good that you're in charge of this and not myself. So I, I think there's there's a I may bastardize this quote, um, but there's a quote that goes something like when setting out on a path of revenge, dig two graves. 
And that's kind of what you're describing there in the sense that yes. what you put out into the world most of the time will come back to you. You see this across multiple religions, uh, even non-religious yeah. things. Like I'm very interested in personal finance. So I read a lot of like personal finance books and stuff like that. And they always talk about the law of abundance where basically donating money, giving away money to charity and stuff like that or whatever basically means it'll come back to you. And so that's the same kind of concept, if you will. Uh, and you see, and so these are the things Absolutely. that I find fascinating is that you see these type of concepts exist across multiple facets of life. And that means that somehow we either believe so strongly in this concept or what I believe is more likely that we've seen this concept work in so many different ways. And what we're doing is defining how and why it works in different ways. So I think that's fascinating to me that witches have that same concept that you would say uh, karma, if you will, is one way that people describe it. You know, the yeah. abundance mindset is another way that people describe it, like all these type of different words for it. But really, it's the same core uh, theory, if you will. And that's just yeah. that's fascinating to me. Yeah, it really is that I like to say, like the book of Solomon says, there's nothing new under the sun. Mm -hmm. And you go all around the world and you will find in so many cultures and so many spiritual paths. And even just like you say, everyday life, not even having to do with spirituality, you will find the same sort of stories and myths and beliefs and things like that. They may be packaged in a different way, but they come the same. And so do you think that that speaks more to some kind of universal truth, if you will, or is that just, is that just to basically people are people and we all kind of come to some of the similar conclusions, just different, again, different ways of like, you know, instead of it being Jesus, maybe it was somebody else or something like that, right? Uh, what, what do you think that is? Do you think that's universal truth or do you think it's just because people are people and we have similar points of view on things? I honestly think it's both of those. Hmm. I think that there are some universal truths. The Kabbalion talks about the universal principles like cause and effect that I just kind of mentioned and polarity and different things like that. And those, it doesn't matter where you go, those natural laws in a sense are there. But we also are looking at the world through human eyes. And so as people, we come to a lot of the same conclusions about the things that we see, natural laws and things that happen because we are all human and, and uh, spiritual beings may look down on the earth and see something totally different, but we are encased in this human form. And so we don't have access to all that information that maybe a spiritual being would have or a deity would have or something like that. So we have to compre comprehend it through what limited means that we have. And that means that we're comprehending things, the same thing. So I really see I see it as both. I, I was told when I was going to school, and there's a quote, and I don't know it exactly, but basically it says that everybody is trying to get up to the top of the mountain. Everyone's taking their own path to the top of the mountain. The only people that aren't making it to the top of the mountain are the ones running around the bottom telling everyone else that they're on the wrong path. Hmm. I like that. That's a pretty good uh, way to summarize a lot of that stuff. So, mm -hmm. so what would you say some of the common misconceptions about being a witch are? I, I have to note that you're not wearing any of the traditional garb that I'd expect from a witch, you know, given my, uh, my, all the media that I've seen telling me what you would wear. And I've noticed right. that a couple of times now, because as I, I told you before we got on the air again, I, I've known other witches um, and they, they tend to look like people. And it's really off putting that, you know, witches don't have some kind of marker. Like they, I was told they would as a kid, you know, it's very, disconcerting yeah. <laughs> that I just walk in I can meet anybody I meet today could be a witch well except for you I know that you're a witch so so what are some of the other misconceptions you know 
that you you've heard about witches? One of them, um, one of them is the one that we mentioned before that basically all witches are Wiccan. That is a huge one. And so that one we kind of put to rest a little bit. Uh, another one is that we worship Satan. I mean, you see that on Sabrina, you see it on TV and movies is that witches have some kind of um, thing going on with the devil in some way. And all the witches I know, I don't know of any witch personally, or even pagan that believes that the devil even exists. So (laughs) if I may too, I'd like to jump in on that. It's just something that's really funny to me. And I apologize if, if it feels like I I joke too much, but it's hilarious to me that the Sabrina I grew up with was Melissa Joan Hart and is a talking cat and a bunch of laugh track jokes and everything like that. They did a gritty (laughs) reboot of Sabrina. They did. And again, maybe that's more true to the core uh, source material or something like that. But I think it's hilarious that we've got a gritty reboot of Sabrina from Caroline Ray and Melissa Joan Hart and all those people and everything like that to now a Satan worship, uh, not Satan worshiping show, but where Satan is heavily involved in the theme of that. I think that's yeah. pretty funny to me that we get gritty reboot, reboots for everything now. <laughs> that's true. And, and I love the show. I do watch the show, but I also see where that is a misconception that continues to just go on and on. And it began with the church, the early church, just trying to convert people and therefore the herbalists and the witches and the people doing their pagan traditions, that was, that was not being converted. And so you had to kind of um, disparage what people were believing and it, it exists until today. And I, you know, I don't have a pact with the devil or anything like that. I don't go out and worship the devil. I don't even worship nature. That's another one. I revere nature. I honor nature. I see nature and myself above, below as all connected together. But I don't go out there and lay down and worship the tree. I honor the tree. I give it gifts and things like that. But that's another one. It's like, we're not, we're not worshiping the devil. We're not worshiping nature. We just have this really, really deep respect for the natural world. Well, I'm glad that I'm wearing headphones because as you see my little tree there sitting on my desk, uh, I I definitely told him he was going to get worshipped today. So that's really unfortunate. (laughs) Oh, poor baby. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, and thank you for clearing up so many of those misconceptions because I think witches, like anything else in the world, um, there is what we think we know, and then there's a reality of what that actually is. And then inside of that reality, there's multiple realities as well because every... Uh, pastime, culture, anything has sex, right? So you do have witches who are wicked, but as we've talked about already, not all witches are wicked. That's not dis- right. distinctly that. Then you also have uh, witches who believe different things because what I've found across anybody I've talked to in any path of life, anything that they believe in or don't believe in, is that no one is monolithic. There is no yeah. group of people that I've experienced that don't have uh, differing beliefs. Like, as you said, there's uh, Christians, there's Presbyterian, there's Catholics, there's a bunch of those. And then in, you know, even in Islam, you have Shiites, you have Shuni, excuse me, Sunni, you have a multiple uh, sex in that religion as well. And that's true of all cultures and all walks of life, even in something as silly as sports. How many yeah. NBA teams are there? There's like 30, I think. So you have 30 different sects of NBA right. uh, <laughs> of religion, if you will, and all this stuff too. So I, I think that that's fascinating to me that 
the distinct differences between the ways that people can experience life has never ceased to uh, never ceased to end in, end in my amazement. Right. So you've got some of your common misconceptions, but one of the things I wanted to ask you, and you kind of gave away a little bit, but I don't think this is your ultimate answer. What is your favorite show that features witches? Hmm. Not specifically for realism, by the way, just for enjoyment, just for pure enjoyment. For it can enjoyment. be realism, but just for enjoyment. Oh my gosh, that's hard. Let me. I'm trying to think. <laughs> I good. I got a stumper. I like that. I like <laughs> that it, it's difficult for you because sometimes people are just like just right away they know immediately, but they're like, oh no, I've never had yeah. to like actually sit down and pick the best or my favorite. I'm rather. also old and I have bad memory. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be 50 years old this this year. <laughs> well, first of all, con- uh, congratulations. But second of all, 50 is not old. This is 50. <laughs> I feel and, old. <laughs> 50 in 2021 is like being 30 in the 70s, I feel like. That, you know? Yeah, <laughs> that is true. That is true. <laughs> I'm trying to, there was a vampire. Oh my gosh, was it? It was either True Blood or another one of them mm-hmm. that had witches. And I, I really enjoyed that one. I, I love how you talk about um, being old and then you pick a pretty modern show for one of your favorites <laughs> as a representation. So I think there's a juxtaposition between those two statements you just made. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's just my, I, I have a 22 and a 23 year old um, children and maybe they keep me young. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> maybe I'm just hip. That, that could be it as well. Although the usage of hip kind of implies that you're not. <laughs> That's it's true. one of those catch 22s right yeah <laughs> hip people don't say they're hip anyways right. <laughs> um i i know my former my former roommate who was a wiccan and she was a witch she loved charmed she i've seen so mm. many episodes of that show because that was a show she just loved and then every once in a while i'd get the the common thing that i here's anytime you watch a show next to somebody who knows something about what the reality of what they're doing in the show you're going to get a lot of pause moments where people pause and go that's not true because of that, 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 right? <laughs> and so I got a lot of those from uh, from Charmed. My my girlfriend now, she, she'll she do it when there's a medical stuff on the show or something like that, whatever. I do it to her if there's martial <laughs> arts in there. So, like, I, I get it. But um, Charmed was the one I've seen the most of that obviously features witches as the prominent members of that. Um, and I have to say the original cast was pretty solid. But then they, as all shows do at some point, they start going through changes and they change the storyline. I'm like, all right, I'm out. This is, this is getting nonsensical and I I don't want to follow this. And I don't like the actors. I just simply don't care about you or your characters. (laughs) (laughs) So I did like charmed. I I don't think that I've ever watched it all the way through. I couldn't Mm -hmm. tell you what the storylines are, but I've watched enough to know that I did appreciate a lot of what they were doing. Yeah, and I do think that they tried to do it with some sense of responsibility. That they mm-hmm. weren't, um, they weren't completely reckless. They did try right. to mention some of the more Wiccan pieces of that show. Like I said, and obviously, as I said before, my friend was, uh, which still is, I, I believe, uh, Wiccan and a witch. So that was really specific to her as a target yeah. audience, right? So that's why yeah, I think she yeah. she felt such a connection to the show, even when they got it wrong. Like she appreciated that they at least put some thought and tried in some of the things, and that and that's like late 90s, early 2000s trying, which is completely different than today where you have to Google mm-hmm. like a million things to really understand the <laughs> subject to be to be completely safe from right. not getting uh, challenged on Twitter or something like that about it. <laughs> so, right. so a lot of my friends who are witches like Hocus Pocus. Oh, man. But that's just fun. I haven't though. actually that's... ever watched that one. You yeah. haven't seen Hocus Pocus? <laughs> 
I haven't ever seen that. Well, you've got homework to do, and we'll we'll have you back in a week, and we'll talk about it. Hocus Pocus is amazing. <laughs> oh man, Hocus Pocus is great. That's that's a that's again, but that's not a witch movie. That's a kids movie, <laughs> but it's fun. It's fun, but <laughs> but it is massive in the in the witch <laughs> niche. <laughs> really, I I so do. Have you seen The Craft? No. Oh, how are you saying you're old? And I'm throwing out all these '90s references now. I well, sound I've heard old. of it. I've heard of it. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> You're making me sound old now. <laughs> I I grew up extremely sheltered. I was in an actually in a cult. Oh, okay. And it was this um like evangelical something or another cult. We weren't allowed really to watch a lot of television. I didn't listen to music, and I ended up going to Bible college in the '90s, and so I missed the '80s and a lot of the '90s. I was an overseas missionary in my youth. I've, I've changed greatly from <laughs> what I grew up with. And so a lot of those things, unless I go back and I hunt it up and I watch it, I kind of started in the late 90s, 2000s of trying to catch up to things. And I just don't, I just haven't watched and listened to everything. Well, I'll start with those two recommendations. Uh, right. <laughs> I definitely recommend checking them out. They are very much 90s films. So if you if you are okay with that, then I would recommend checking them out. Uh, Hocus Pocus, very silly kids movie that's fun, that also prominently features witches, but not in any serious way. It's a <laughs> yeah. kids movie. And then The Craft, which was probably the, in my opinion, is one of the most famous witch movies of all time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, again, I, I don't think they did it with a sense of delicacy to the the context of witches and everything like that, but it does feature them. And it's, a, it's an enjoyable movie. I shouldn't say fun because it's supposed to be more serious right. and like violent and everything like that, but it's, it's an enjoyable movie. But if you yeah. would feel comfortable, can you talk about how you kind of did that transition from the evangelical, I can never say that word, evangelical <laughs> to, to kind of being a, a witch and everything. Like how, how did that happen for you? Yeah, if you if you want me to talk about that, I sure will. It's a really crazy story, but um, I was, you know, we were very much controlled in in my youth, and we were out in the country. And when I say it's a cold, I mean that the pastor controlled everything. My parents put a for sale sign up one time. The pastor came and said it's not God's will. They pulled the sign up. Mm. They you know, you had to tie the certain amount of money and they would come out and it, it was, it was really crazy. So we, we really only listened to classical music and church hymns and, and things like that. And so what, crazily enough, when I went to Bible college, which there, the one they wanted you to go to is in upstate South Carolina, Greenville. I won't say the name, but people mm -hmm. probably know where it is. That's the one they wanted you to go to. And I ended up going to a school closer to home. And I went to classes like hermeneutics where I was taught to examine the Bible and figure out what the Bible was saying through Greek and Hebrew and context. Oh my God, context, you know. <laughs> and I started going home to my parents and saying, oh my God, mama, this is not exactly what we were being taught. The Bible doesn't actually mean that. The Bible doesn't actually tell us that we have to wear culottes and long dresses and you know women are aren't supposed to speak and we're you know we're the servants to the men I'm, I said mama this is not what this is saying and through that oddly enough of going to bible college I began to realize that what I had been kind of indoctrinated into 
wasn't actually the way of the world and it wasn't actually even Christianity. It wasn't actually what the Bible was saying. And so from there, I, I ended up going overseas to teach a little while with a mission organization. And when I came back, I had just seen probably the worst of Christianity, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So when I came back, some things happened in my life. I had, I had undergone abuse, actually abuse in the church itself, mm-hmm. but we were not allowed to speak about it and just all this stuff like that. I wanted nothing to do with religion, with spirituality, with God. I cursed God out and I just kind of just went my own way. And I began playing Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> which was absolutely demonic. I thought I was the, you know, the the edgiest person in the world because my church basically that's opening up for the devil. And so I was introduced to druids and mages and that sort of thing and magic. And as I was doing research for my character, I began to run into sites about real magic and real druids. And so I began just following that trail and learning all the real stuff. So the church will say that playing D&D is the gateway to getting into demonic stuff. And I guess to them, yeah, it could be, even though it's not demonic, it actually opened up my heart. And I thought of all the things that have happened to me. I've, I've been very gifted my whole life with clairvoyance and just a lot of the, the different spiritual gifts and seeing spirits and having all these kind of supernatural experiences. And all this time I was told that I was either demon possessed or demons were after me and, you know, that it was just something that I was sinful to have. And it turns out that I just have spiritual gifts. And so it took me up until my thirties to really accept every part of myself, including the scary at some point gifts. And uh, just through my own research for a long time, I practiced quietly. I didn't tell a lot of people but I'm now a pagan minister and I'm, I teach other people. I go and just a couple of weeks ago, go clear houses of, of entities and things like that. So it's a huge difference. But when I started learning about true paganism and true spirituality, it was just like coming home to me. It was, it was like this information had been in my soul all along. And I could shake free from this box that they, that people had been trying to stuff me in so long. I didn't fit into it. And I tried so hard to please everyone and I just didn't fit. And I never understood why, if I tried so hard, why couldn't I fit? Why couldn't I be happy? Why couldn't I just have this spiritual experience without having a million rules to follow and, and rules that they don't even tell you that if you break, you know, you're in trouble and it just was so, so freeing for me to be able to just walk my own, my own path and have my own experience with my own um, body and my own gifts and nature. Wow, that's an incredible story. First of all, thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Um, I, I find it ironic, and I finally get to use this word correctly. I don't mean coincidentally. I'm, uh, I find it ironic that going to a Bible study taught you to question your Christian upbringing. And I find that is for people like myself who tend to be pretty logical, pretty kind of black and white with some things, not everything I understand the world's full of colors, but uh, black and white on the sense of uh, 
you know, what's in the Bible. You know, there's certain period pieces yeah. of it that speak very specifically. And then I hear a pastor or somebody else say something. I'm like, are you reading the same passage I'm reading? Because they didn't say that. <laughs> it certainly yeah, exactly. didn't make that leap into the thing you just said. And I've had conversations about that with other people because I think there is some realization that the way that people interpret the Bible is not also not monolithic, but also people aren't interpreting the Bible. They are claiming to be, and then let me be clear, I'm not specifically saying this about Christianity. I'm saying this about all religions. I just have the most familiarity mm -hmm. with Christianity as somebody who's raised Christian. Um, right. But they start using their culture and then using their culture to try to find pieces in the Bible that relate to one another and then saying the Bible says it, right? And so you see that with a lot of the things. Yeah. Is it convenient that the things the Bible has a problem with, we also have a problem with in mainstream culture. You don't think that that's a coincidence. You think that Jesus was just really ahead of his time. No, you're, you're, you're interpreting it in such a way because <laughs> of what you already believe. And that's where you found out by looking at the real original text, like going outside of just what was translated into English and really getting into the nitty gritty of it and going, Hey, uh, this, you know, this doesn't mean that. And you probably, and I imagine, I don't, I don't want to, you know, uh, put my thoughts into your head, but I imagine you thought like, Oh, I wonder if my family knows this. You know, you thought you were helping. You thought you were right. telling them all this stuff, and you come back and you find out, oh, they, they, they were your family or whoever else may have already known this. They're just changing it to do what they want to do, anyways. And so that's that's just a fascinating mm -hmm. process to me because, like, it literally started with trying to be closer to the process that got you on your eventual path to where you are now, and that's <laughs> fascinating. Yeah, it's so crazy. Yeah, people. People, when I tell them that it was going to Bible college that actually <laughs> helped me learn that I was not taught the right Christian Christian belief system, they're like, what in the world? How does that even work? But it's it's because I feel like that Bible college did its job well. And it's at least in that class, mm -hmm. we weren't taking a, a rule, you know, for instance, not getting tattoos. We weren't taking this you shouldn't get tattoos and then trying to find one verse out of the entire Bible to back that up. We were taught, you got to look at the culture of, of where it was written. You got to look at the context. Don't just pull one verse out because you could do that. You could pick any book off my bookshelf right now, take one sentence out and have a million different beliefs about it. But if you read the whole paragraph or even the whole chapter, it might have been telling you how not to do something. You don't know. You got to look at more than just that. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, the big thing that I've always had an issue with when it comes to religious texts of any particular religion, because I think that, again, this is a human thing. It's not a religion thing. Right. It's where I'm going to accentuate and talk 90% of the time about this one thing that it says while ignoring other things that it says. Now, my favorite, yeah. my favorite to go to uh, example for, from the Christian Bible is that we talk about murder, obviously. Murder is bad. It's in the Ten Commandments. It's like pretty clear on murder, isn't it? Right? Um, then you start to go into things that are a little murkier, like tattoos. It's like, well, what about the part where it says don't yeah. trim the edges of your beard? Well, what about the parts where it says don't right. wear mixed fabrics? It's like, oh, no, no, that, that's fine. Polyester is fine. You know, like we, we don't care about those yeah. type of things. <laughs> we just want to specifically pick out right. these other pieces. And I, I, that's the problem that, excuse me, that's the part for me that caused the biggest problem is because I'm like, look, if you want to tell yeah. me that you're following the Bible and that's your, your guide to life, I can get behind that. You're allowed to believe whatever you want to believe, and I will support you in your ability to do so. But when you start ignoring pieces of it because it's less convenient for you to do so, I will challenge that. 
that's a problem that I have because you're not, you're no longer backing your beliefs up by your religion. You're backing your beliefs up with specific pieces of your religion and ignoring your religion where it's not convenient for you to do so. And that's where we start to cross into a lot of the political people who do this. You cross into uh, your personal people in your personal life who do this and everything. And that's where I, again, I have a trouble having those conversations because all you're doing is exactly like you talked about the, um, the religious group that you were in did is I'm picking the pieces that I want to believe and accentuating the ones I want to believe and maybe even creating some of the ones I want to believe while ignoring things that aren't convenient for me and the way that I want to live my life. Right. And I don't think the, it would even be that much of a problem if it wasn't pounded into your head that mm. these scriptures, whatever religion it is, these scriptures are stri- scriptures are straight from God himself. Mm-hmm. And every single piece, I mean, that's what we were taught is it is entirely from God, well, then follow everything. Mm-hmm. Either either say, mm, this, is, this is a man's version of how they perceive the world, and we're going to take what applies to us today, or say every single dot and uh, bit is from God, then follow it all, or don't. You can't mix the two. You can't say it's all from God and, and eat pork. And even with the murder thing, I... I was a hospice volunteer when I was becoming a minister. Part of what I had to do was to do a project in the community. And I chose to be a hospice volunteer. Mm -hmm. One of the jobs I had to do with many of my clients was read the Bible to them. That's what they wanted. That's what they wanted in their last days is the Bible being read to them. And I had to read the entire Bible every year of Bible college. So I'm very familiar with the Bible, but it had been many years since I've done that. Mm -hmm. And I was actually embarrassed by some of the things that I was reading to these people. And I would actually change some of the words and I would make comment of, I would be reading Psalms and David was so whiny about things. And I would say, (laughs) and I would say to the the lady and she was not very responsive, but her daughter had said, read this to her. I would say, I am so sorry that David is so whiny. I never realized how whiny he is, but we're going to keep reading. And then going in and just destroying entire towns down to the children, the men, the women, their livestock, everything, their pets. Mm -hmm. It was embarrassing to me. And I thought, I didn't even notice this back when I was a child. I didn't even notice how destructive. And uh, how, how do you take that? And you just kind of, okay, that, that doesn't matter. That part doesn't apply, but damn it. You better not have a, a, a pants on. You better not speak up when you're in church, woman. Like how, how do you put those pieces together? That was really difficult for me for a while. And I think that for a lot of us, that is very difficult. And I think that's where you start to see people either buy more into what they're being told or start to question it and go out on their own paths. And sometimes those mm-hmm. paths lead them to a different sect of the religion. Sometimes they yeah. lead them to potentially start their own version of it. Um, but then sometimes it, it, it leads them away from it. And yeah. I think that's where a lot of people, that's where a lot of the, the religious leaders, I'll say, that's where they should do a lot of soul searching on that. Because yeah. you have to accept at some point that two things. One there's no such thing as God's word. When I say that, let me be clear. By every religious definition that I've ever seen, God uses man to translate his word. 
Right. You also accept that all men and I mean, I mean all people are sinners. So there's a high probability some of them lied about some of it, right? So there's you start with that basic concept, and but then also you start to say, hey, what am I saying that is ignoring other parts of my religious text? What am I mm-hmm. saying that is accentuating parts of the religious text? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And then start to be yeah. honest with yourself about what that means and stop pretending that you know what your God wants. You're interpreting yeah. it like everyone else is. And you may feel more solidly that you know that, but it doesn't mean that you get to just tell people that it's law, you know? And I think that's the pro- part of the problem yeah. is that we ignore the human element of some of these activities, including, again, and I'm talking from a very uh, individualized perspective in the sense that if, if Brandon was a religious leader, Brandon is ignoring these flaws that Brandon has and he's ignoring all these other things, right? Uh, and I think that's one of the things that yeah. we need to be more honest about and hopefully we can get to a better place with a lot of these things because at the end of the day, if you were able to do that, you're also able to potentially not cause a lot of these religious wars that we've had and continue to have, you know, uh, around the world. And I, I really hope to, for that for the future because the foundation of America was built on the concept, so they say. Obviously, there's a lot of the same thing concepts we're talking about right now where they're like, oh, uh, all men are created equal except the ones that aren't allowed to do anything because we own them, <laughs> right? So there's a lot of this stuff that we see across multiple <laughs> right, human experiences. Right. So uh, I'm saying, but anyways, yeah. the American foundation was supposed to be on freedom of religion, freedom of speech, and those type of things. And if you have freedom of religion, that means I have to value the fact that other people have another religion and not hate them for it and not act as if they're all liars, except for mine, right? You just have to accept that people believe different things. And we just have to be very honest in our own beliefs, I think. Yeah. And I, I have this kind of statement that even pisses off fellow pagans and fellow witches, but my statement, and I firmly believe it is that all religion, all spirituality here on this earth is Mm man-made. Even what I do, you know, there's, there's nothing of, of a, a, the goddess's hand come down and told us that we have to meet under a full moon. We've made all that up. We've made up the words. We've made up the rituals. We, we make up the spells. And yes, some of it is kind of innate knowledge and it works. So we keep doing it. Mm-hmm. But it goes back to what we were saying at the beginning of there are some kind of universal natural things that everybody has experienced but we're all seeing it through human eyes. That includes all religions and all spirituality. And that's why I want people to walk their own path. That's why I'm not part of any religion, any dogma that says, this is how you do it. And this is how you have a spiritual um, life. And this is how you connect to the divine. I do my own thing because it was all made up anyway. We don't know for sure until we go and figure out when we die and our spirit goes wherever it goes, because no one really knows. Maybe we'll figure it out then. Uh, everything is seen through a human view. So I am the first one to admit that there is nothing in my book of spells or my rituals or my prayers or anything that I do that doesn't come through the view of my human eyes and my human mind. It's just the way that I choose to connect with this huge divine source that I long to have a connection to. And so I'm doing my very best to connect to it, if that makes sense. 
100%. I completely understand where you're coming from and agree with you as well. The only one absolute truth is that you have to hate Michigan football. That's the only one absolute <laughs> truth that exists across all realms, universes, religions. That's the one absolute North Star truth. That's the only I know I'll nothing know. about football except that <laughs> here at USC, football is huge. <laughs> yes, that is very, very true. So, all right. So I, w- I want to transition into the other thing that I was very excited to talk to you about. Yeah. And uh, here's the part where I get to go out and try to say this word that we both know I can't pronounce because you heard me try to pronounce it before we started recording. <laughs> but so you have prosopagnosia. How do you actually say it? Can you say it for me, please? Prosopagnosia. Ah, it's cool. I was much And I don't even know time. if I'm saying it right. That's what I've heard. Prosopagnosia. You, you, well, you you actually have it, so you're allowed to say how it's pronounced. You get to define that for yourself, I feel like. But, but <laughs> All please, right. <laughs> please tell everybody w- what that is and some of your experiences uh, living with it. Yeah, so the common term for that is face blindness. And I don't know how long I've had this, but I'm pretty sure that it, it was one of the things that I was born with. You can either be born with it or you can get um, a brain injury. And develop it at some point. So there's two types. And I'm pretty sure that I was born with it because I can look back and see how um, it was affecting my life, even though I had no name for it and I didn't even know why it was affecting my life. But um, I don't recognize faces. So when when they test you, they kind of cover the hair and everything, and mm-hmm. they just give you this part of your face. Mm-hmm. I cannot recognize faces. You can put two faces next to each other and then show it to me later. I don't know it. I have driven right past my own children in the car line when they were in elementary school because they weren't in the spot that they were usually in and they had to come running after my car. It was it's it was heartbreaking and I hid it for so long and it was one of those things, you know, as I was talking about me trying to find myself. I went through many many years of depression. Um, during that time when I didn't want anything to do with any, any spirituality or anything. And I had been told for so long that I was demon possessed because of my uh, just gifts that I had. Like I was in this deep, dark pit. And one of those things that I now consider a gift, I've learned how to work with it, was this prosopagnosia of, of not being able to recognize people. And so I didn't go out a lot. I didn't, I stayed in my room. I didn't want to go out to concerts. I didn't want to go out to the local grocery store because if I were to run into somebody and I knew a lot of people because I taught all over South Carolina in my uh, late teens and early twenties. And so I would stay away from that because I knew I'd never recognize anyone. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. I didn't know why. I thought I just was careless and had a terrible memory. And it wasn't until I found out that there was a thing such as face blindness and I started researching it and I found that there were um, Yale and different universities. And there's one in UK that you, I was part of their research study. And I found out that I have it really, really bad. The below average is 57 out of a hundred, I think. And I, I scored a 29. Oh, wow. I have it bad. <laughs> so I think it's out of 72. So a 29 out of 72. And if, if you are below average, it's 57. So I have it pretty bad. 
but I had no clue why. I just knew that I was terrible with faces and terrible with names. And my husband would come up beside me sometimes when he was around and he would, he would kind of secretly give me clues. He would say, oh, hi, so-and-so. Um, how's it been going at the church? Or, or how's your child so-and-so? He would give me clues in the talk. And so I would know who they were because I would absolutely have no idea. And I've even not even recognized family, people that I've seen my whole life, my own children. And goodness gracious, if it's not even somebody that I see a lot, I will never recognize them. Mm-hmm. That's first of all, again, thank you for sharing that. That's, that is one of those things that until I met somebody who had it, I thought it was a made up, you know, Gray's Anatomy type of condition <laughs> or something like that. I yeah. didn't think that it was something that actually existed. Um, so can you tell me what, again, and I apologize to keep doing this, but you just have so many fascinating topics to talk about, but uh, what are some of the misconceptions you see about that diagnosis? What do people get wrong about it? Do like, do they think that it's more severe than it actually is, or do they think it's not as severe as it is? I think number one, people have never heard of it. And so just like you, the misconception is that it is completely fake. You just, you just can't remember things or you just don't care to put the, put the work in into remembering my name. So for me, names have a lot to do with it because if I can't recognize your face, how in the hell am I going to know your name? Mm -hmm. So names are very much a part of it for me. And, you know, people just think that you're too stuck up or you're better than them. That's, I ran into that a lot and I, I feel like I'm not stuck up at all, but I'm very quiet. I used to be way more quiet when I was kind of in my little shell, Um, Mm -hmm. but people just thought that I was stuck up and I just did not, did not put the time into it. So that's a misconception right there is that if you just, if you just tried harder, but it is an actual thing wrong with my brain, it cannot process people's faces. And so that in and itself is really difficult. It's like any kind of disability that you talk about. Mm -hmm. People have to make concessions in a sense. People have to figure out how to work around it. So for me, I will recognize if someone has like a crazy hairstyle. Mm -hmm. If someone always has blue hair, always has, you know, an updo, I'll recognize that. I will recognize people's voices. I'll recognize if they have a a limp or things like that. I also recognize if they're in the same spot every time. Mm -hmm. So at one point before COVID, I worked at a local museum and there were people who would sit at the front desk every time. I could tell you their name because they were always in the same seat every day sitting at the same desk. Mm -hmm. But if that person said, Hey, Pam, or how how are you doing? And they ran uh, up to me at the local food lion. I wouldn't have a clue because they're not in the, in the spot where I know them. And that's the reason that I didn't recognize my children either is usually I picked them up at one certain post and they weren't there. So um, as far as other misconceptions, I mean, I think the main one is people just have never heard of this or if they have, it's been on some TV show where it's been made into something, you know, really strange. Um, But I think that uh, another kind of misconception about it is that 
is that it's it's being broken that if someone does recognize it well then fix it mm-hmm. you've got this thing wrong what can what can they give you what pill can they give you what therapy can they give you to fix it mm-hmm. there must be something you can do to make it better this is one of those things that's why they have so many research studies there is nothing that they can do at this time to fix it and it is a spectrum so you have some people like me who are you know 29 out of 72 mm-hmm. much lower but you could have someone who is higher up on that scale that if they see people often they may be able to recognize that there are some people that are even kind of lower on the scale than me that can't recognize cars i can i kind of have trouble with that i don't i can never remember colors of cars and things like that but they can't recognize their pets they can't recognize one animal from the other so there's a huge spectrum about it it's not just okay you, you don't recognize faces or you do recognize faces there's a huge spectrum going on there so so what does that feel like to you when you you see someone's and you don't recognize them is it like meeting a stranger every time or do you get any kind of um I don't want to say rush of adrenaline or fear or whatever it is, but just what, what is that like for you when you, when you do see somebody? So there's two answers to that because I'm different Mm -hmm. now and I've Mm -hmm. completely come to accept what that is. I tell people, I've never told people before. I tell people I have it Mm -hmm. and I don't feel the same about it anymore. It's just a part of me. But before I came to terms with that, I had guilt And I felt Mm. deep shame because I thought that I was not doing something to fix it. I thought that I was just a broken individual and I'm not able to do, can't I do something? Can't, you know, I would keep lists of names. I would take photos, constantly take photos of people. And, and so shame, shame was the biggest, uh, uh, just emotion and, and fear. And fear is what kept me in my house all the time. Fear is what kept me from not wanting to be around people, mm-hmm. not wanting to even go into the local store because, you know, you, you're familiar somewhat with Columbia. It's not the biggest area, no. even though and it's especially a capital. In, in big areas like that, excuse me, small areas like that, it, it, they, you're supposed to know everybody. Exactly. Exactly. To me, it seems like a superpower to be able to recognize people. So I taught children uh, uh, when I was a teenager into even getting married in my mid-20s. And so my husband knows a lot of the children that I taught. I, I, in fact, was a children's minister at a local church in my 20s. And we we will see these children who now 20 some years later, they are, you know, 20, late 20s, 30s. If I can't even recognize you on, you know, day to day. Yeah. You think I'm going to recognize you 20 years later, 10 years later? My husband knows everyone. He knows them all. And he will say, oh, that is so-and-so who was in your kid's class at, at the Presbyterian Church. And that to me is a superpower. I cannot comprehend because I think I have never had that ability. I cannot comprehend the ability to recognize someone when time has passed like that. Wow. 
again, thank you so much for sharing that. And I'm just sitting here and thinking because I'm a bad person. Um, I'm just thinking about how I can start telling people I have it now because <laughs> I don't want to remember their faces because uh, most people's faces aren't worth remembering in my opinion anyways. But um, it, what, what's, and again, all jokes aside for a second, uh, uh, well, not all jokes, some jokes aside, <laughs> um, it, I am really, really, really bad with names. Mm-hmm. And I used to be a children's coach for, for martial arts. And I see these kids probably anywhere between two to four times a week. And I would not remember some of their names. And so what I would do is I would cheat. If I was getting ready to pair them up to do something or whatever, I would start like three kids before the kid's name I didn't know. And I would just start tapping them on the shoulder instead of saying names. So I'd make sure that they knew <laughs> I knew this kid's name, but I'd start tapping, tapping. So that way, the kid whose name I didn't know didn't know that it was him. <laughs> was the reason that I started right. tapping shoulders and stuff like that. Um, but there's a song by this uh, comedy group called Garfunkel and Oates, I think it is. Um, it, that, and it basically the gist of the song is, am I a jerk for not knowing your name or are you just bleh? And that's, that's what I often think about. It's like, <laughs> is it the fact that I, I'm a jerk because I don't know who his name are? Are you just not interesting? Are, are, you know what I mean? They're like, they may even say in the song, like, get a haircut, get a crazy haircut, get a hat or something like that. Be rememberable uh, in some <laughs> flash, form or fashion or whatever. Yeah. So, Maybe maybe you could do that in the uh, you know once you hit about fifty five. I think fifty five is the age where you could really start just letting go and not caring about stuff. Then you can start being more aggressive about it. You're like, look, dude, uh-huh. I don't remember your face because you're not interesting. You're like, you need to be more interesting next time, and maybe I'll remember you. <laughs> <laughs> and so I challenge you to be your authentic self and to say, you're, you're, I'm just, I will never remember you because you're not interesting. <laughs> oh, I, and I, I. I don't go quite that far because I, I think I do admit now, generally speaking, I've gotten a lot better at it, uh, accepting myself, as you say, uh, and just admitting, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't know your name. Can you remind me your name, please? You know, I, yeah. I, yeah, I try to do that more often now, try to be fair to the person and tell them that I don't remember their name. But yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. And it's my boss, my former boss, she knew I was really bad with names. And so if somebody came in to talk to her uh, while I was in her office or something like that, as soon as they left, she'd be like, who was that? And I'd be like, Jeff? She's like, <laughs> she's like, no. And she would just start cracking up about how I never remembered anybody that we talked to. And I told her the same thing. It's like, I just, I just don't find some people interesting. If you're not interesting, your name doesn't get locked in, you know, but I, I mean, again, that's a rude yeah. way to say it just because it's funny to me, but no, it's, I think we all have different challenges for those type of things. Like you said, it's, it's one important to be honest with yourself that you have that challenge. And then also, as you said, you've come to now um, being able to admit that to other people, because it, it can be hurtful to other yeah. people that you don't remember them. But again, if you're having, if you have challenges with names, you have challenges with faces or whatever. And again, yours is much more of a uh, serious condition than mine is. Mine is probably just that I am lazy and I'm kind of a jerk, a jerk to people. But uh, I think it's important to be able to be <laughs> honest about that with yourself and other people, because again, that just makes the world a better place to me. But also it, can help not hurt people's feelings if you just you're honest about it and you tell them because if not yeah I, I end up doing a lot of hey chief buddy guy friend like the, the, all those little nicknames that aren't people's names because I don't yes. have it. and I remember there's a time my girlfriend was with me and she got mad at me because I didn't introduce her to somebody and then after the person left I was like I wasn't confident about what their name was so I couldn't go hey x this is my girlfriend because I didn't know their name <laughs> it's like so I couldn't introduce you to them yeah Yeah, so you feel my struggle more than some people do because you have had to develop ways to deal with not learning names just like I have had to develop means to do that too and and some of the same things. So, you know, here in the South, it's it's completely plausible to say, hey, darling, hey, honey, 
Hey, mm-hmm. honey, how you doing? I got real good at that because then you don't have to know their names. And then they start asking you certain stuff. And I wouldn't ever introduce anybody to anybody because even if I thought I knew who it was, I just still was not sure. And so I didn't do that either. And yeah, I just found different ways when I would teach classes, even if it was the same people five weeks in a row, every time they had name tags mm-hmm. or I have little cards at the museum and they would put them on the front of their little desk with their names on it. Like I found all these ways to work around it and you're tapping them on their shoulder, find, you know, doing mm-hmm. it where they come at that point. That is a way to work around something that you don't feel comfortable about. And and that's what people with prosopagnosia have to do as well. They find ways to work around it so that they don't, if they, you know, if they're not confident in saying, Hey, I've got this problem. I, I'm, I have face blindness because even if you're not, if you're not truly confident and you tell someone that more than likely they're going to say, is that even a real thing? Are you sure that's a real thing? Mm-hmm. Which just downplays and puts you in this little tiny space of, yeah, they don't even believe that I, that I have this. So it's scary to say something like that. And just going back to this is where my jerk nature, I think, would help me out. Because if you don't believe that I have the challenge I have, then I don't feel bad about not remembering your face anymore. That <laughs> exactly. took all my guilt away. I no longer feel guilty. I feel vindicated and not remembering you because I don't want to remember you. You're not a good person. <laughs> mm. So th- I think this is another interesting part of it. And I did not come to figure this out until someone actually told me this in the past 10 years. But when I started actually telling people that I had prosopagnosia and be very open about it and saying, Hey, I just don't, I don't remember who you are. Could you remind me? I was taught, I was talking at a class about having clairvoyance and being able to read people's energy. I've always been really great at body language and energy and that sort of thing. Even when I was, even when I was young, I just didn't know what it was called. And someone said, you know what, maybe, maybe you're really good at that as a way of kind of compensating for not being able to see faces. Maybe you have been given an extra helping of these gifts of looking into the spirit world because you, you have this, I mean, I hate calling it disability, but in some ways it does make life, you know, it is a disability. Mm -hmm. So maybe I was given a means to connect with people's energy and know whether I wanted to be around someone because I had a lacking on the physical plane in some way. I like that. I I think that's a very positive way to look at that. And I think that, again, going back to the universal truth or just the the truths that humans observe commonly, we do see that a lot, right? With balance. There's an effort to balance things with a lot of uh, people, you know? And so I think that's that's a great way to look at it. And that very well could be why you Mm -hmm. have those connections made so Mela, I want to say thank you so much for coming on here and sharing so much about yourself, being very open and honest. I really appreciate when people do that. I know for you, it may not feel like you're doing too much, but I think when more people are able to be a true version of themselves, especially in public spaces like this, you know, with a podcast and everything, yeah. I, I think the world ultimately is a better place because you you never know. Somebody else may hear you, their story and your story and feel better about themselves or feel more mm-hmm. connected to the world because of that. So thank you very, very much for doing that. Why don't you go ahead and tell everybody where they can find you if they want to see, see you again or hear any more about your story or that type of stuff? 
I have a witchy podcast called Bell Book and Candle, and it's B-E-L-L-E, like Southern Bell, and it's podpage.com, uh, and it's bell-book-candle. And I'm on all the platforms, so if you just look up Bell Book and Candle, you'll be able to find me, and I talk about my life story. I bring on guests. We have a lot of really um, fun things that we do, and so I would love to have people find me there. Awesome. I'll make sure that I put it in the show notes for this and uh, make sure that I can direct people over to your page. So thanks again. I really appreciate it. Have a good rest of your day and have a good weekend. Thank you. You too. Thanks for checking out Starting Nowhere. Come find us on Facebook so you can comment on this and other clips and episodes of Starting Nowhere.